Over the past year and a half, I've had the blessing of working out with a group of guys early in the morning. It's called F3, and we work out at 5.30 in the mornings. F3 stands for Fitness, Faith, and Fellowship. And these, these guys have taught me a couple things. First, I've learned through this, there are muscles that I didn't realize could get sore, and they do on a regular basis. Secondly, the credo has kind of been ingrained in me, which is leave no man behind and leave no man where you found him. Leave no man behind and leave no man where you found him. That'll preach, won't it? I know that's for workouts and it's talking about kind of physical development, but in the church, I think it's discipleship language. And as much as I love a good burpee or a good set of push-ups, uh, I think this is something that Jesus would have said, or maybe Jesus even kind of described, because I think it's discipleship talk. Discipleship is biblical talk. It's Jesus talk. It's early church vernacular. The word disciple, it's used 239 times in the New Testament. The word Christian, it's not a bad word, but it's only used three times. Jesus, when he starts his ministry, he calls who to him? Disciples. When he is the resurrected Christ, he appears to disciples. When he leaves earth, he gives the great commission to disciples. He tells them in Matthew 28, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I am surely with you always, even to the end of the age. Dallas Willard wrote a book about 15 years ago called The Great Omission. It's a great book and it stuck with me for a long time. In this book, Willard claims that most Western churches have stripped discipleship from the Great Commission. Instead of Christians attempting to make disciples and teaching people to obey what Jesus has taught them, Instead, they, we've kind of gravitated to a faith culture where we're more about making converts. And it's actually even opened up the possibility of people seeing themselves as Christians without the necessity of being a disciple. So there's this status change from saved or unsaved to saved, but there's not this life change. There's not this journey that continues to follow Jesus and continues to become a disciple. So the Great Commission without discipleship becomes the Great Omission, which causes what Willard calls the Great Disparity. And the Great Disparity is on the one hand, we read about and we long for this power-filled, love-filled, spirit-filled life that we see in the early church that changed people, transformed lives, and put together a broken world. But on the other side of this great disparity is the actual experience that so many of us have as Christians where we don't feel, feel filled with power, love, or the Spirit. And it's not that transformative. And so in short, for a lot of us, being a Christian is kind of a letdown. It seems to be more about behaving and following the rules and what we do not do instead of this world-shaking kind of faith that we read about in the pages of the New Testament. One of the core values of our emerging vision called awakening is this. We boldly raise up discipleship 
as the mission of the church. We boldly raise up discipleship as the mission of the church. Jesus said this long before we did, obviously. Again, in Matthew 28, he says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So for the church to experience the presence and the essence of Jesus, we've got to reclaim this way of discipleship. A disciple is someone who apprentices with someone else. A disciple is somebody who lives with and learns the ways of someone else. A disciple is somebody who imitates his or her discipler. So Jesus taught his disciples a lot, and he teaches us a lot. He taught them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Jesus said, love your neighbors, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus taught his disciples to repent and become like children so they could enter the kingdom of God. He taught them to love their enemies, to turn the other cheek, to pray for those who are persecuting them. He taught them that losing their lives for the sake of the kingdom is actually the way that you find life. On and on and on the list goes. It's radical, it's dangerous, it's uncomfortable, and it's commanded. It's Jesus' plan for people who are wearing his name. Do what he taught us to do. That's discipleship. After 25 years in youth ministry, I have more questions about discipleship than I do answers. But there are a couple truths that I see emerging over and over and over again. Number one, discipleship is caught. And number two, discipleship happens in discomfort. First, discipleship is caught. In order for people to become more spiritually mature, after lots of techniques and methodologies, I, I think the only way for people to become more spiritually mature is to be with somebody who's more spiritually mature than them. In the case of youth ministry, it's students being with either more mature students or hopefully adults who are more spiritually mature. But it, it takes a discipler to be able to open up his or her life to somebody who wants to be led who's willing to apprentice, who's willing to learn. So it's really that basic. Discipleship is caught. If we're going to grow as disciples of Jesus, we have to spend intentional time around somebody or somebodies who are farther along and closer to Jesus than we are. So that's number one. Number two, discipleship happens best through discomfort. For people to become more spiritually uh, mature, we realize that the greatest growth comes through the greatest discomfort. The greatest growth comes through the greatest discomfort. When we look at the life of Jesus, everybody in his, in his community gets uncomfortable. Everybody. His mom, it starts. She's a virgin, she's unmarried, she gets pregnant. That's uncomfortable. His cousin, John, lives an aesthetic lifestyle in the desert. He challenges the powers of the day. He loses his head, literally. That's uncomfortable. We see it in the, the lives of the disciples. They leave jobs, careers, hometowns, family. They get kicked out of houses of worship. And in the life of Jesus, the last three years of his life, he spends it as a homeless, transient man with no quote, place to lay his head, unquote, 
And he eventually ends up on a cross against his will. That is uncomfortable. And great growth was happening through all of those seasons. In my own life, seasons of great discomfort have brought about seasons of great growth. I can think about three or four just kind of off the top of my head. I know a, a big one came when I moved from Tennessee to Texas, and this was almost 20 years ago. And Stacy and I and our three babies at that time chose to move where we lived in Nashville within an hour of both sets of grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends that we had been around for Stacy most of her life, for myself over a decade. And we chose to move 14 hours away to Texas where we really didn't know anybody. It was uncomfortable, but we grew. Another season of life came in 2010 and after really a long season of prayer and discernment and holy restlessness, Stacy and I came to the conclusion that God was calling us to relocate from a very comfortable suburban life in Arlington into a poor multicultural inner city neighborhood called Binghampton. It has been and still is very uncomfortable, but it has grown us in ways uh, we are so thankful for it and not sure we could have grown without the discomfort. In fact, we wouldn't have. About six years ago, seven years ago, there was another big season of growth. God put adoption on my family's heart. And note, I said my family's heart because it wasn't on my heart. Our quiver was full. Our house was full. We had four kids. We were out of diapers. But after a time of uh, persistence from the Holy Spirit in my family, including my kids, I got to the point where I realized adoption is something that not only we could do, but it was really something we should do. And it has been incredibly hard. It's been incredibly uncomfortable. But it has grown me as a disciple of Jesus in ways I could not have fathomed. The idea that discipleship happens through discomfort, it gives me hope right now. Everyone in the world is experiencing discomfort. Everyone in our country is experiencing discomfort. And we should be. Disease and injustice are revealing the deep inequalities that so many of us, including Christians, have grown comfortable with. COVID-19 or the murder of George Floyd, they didn't create these inequalities, but they brought them into light for all to see. It's heartbreaking, it's gruesome, it's wrong, and it's uncomfortable. But for me, the hopefulness in this season comes from believing that this discomfort can disciple us. It can train us to see the world more like Jesus sees it. Jesus will meet us right where we are from the most racist to the most woke and to both he will love us too much to leave us right there. It's kind of like that F3 saying, leave no man behind and leave no man where you found him. Discipleship means people, discipleship meets people where they're at but insists they don't become complacent and stay where they're at. Discipleship demands that we keep growing. So we boldly raise up discipleship as the mission of the church. And at Sycamore View, we want to be about the great commission and not the great omission. 
We want to be a people who take discipleship seriously. We strive to be people who will meet anyone where they are, love them, value them, respect them, and then say with love and conviction, let's go toward Jesus together. Wherever you're at, let's go together. We want to move people into relationships where they are looking more like Jesus and actually obeying the things that he taught his disciples to do. That's discipleship. That's a vision that'll transform us individually and it'll transform us collectively and it'll help the church become a force of healing, of love, of justice and light in a dark and a broken world. 13 years ago, I had a really good friend who left this church and he left for pretty good reasons and he asked a question on his way out that really haunted me. And he said, Jim, where do I go in this church to be discipled. So I said, well, I mentioned some Bible study options, Bible class options, some serving options, Sunday morning assemblies, but I knew he had already done all that. This was a guy who was hungry to grow. He was willing to be uncomfortable. He was longing to be discipled. And I knew my answer wasn't very satisfying to him and it wasn't satisfying to me. So, if my friend asked me that today, I, I hope I'd have a better answer. And I, I think I'd say something along the lines of, well, at Sycamore View, we, we challenge our family members to make five commitments, to discover your place in the kingdom of God, to connect to a small group of believers, to serve uh, in the name of Jesus through a ministry of the church, to give whether that's time, talents, or finances, or all of the above, and to go live out the Great Commission in your life, how just you and you alone can. And then we have this compatibility thing that goes along with it, this co-journeyer. And I would say, there's a shepherd who loves you, and he's caring for the flock, and he'll walk with you as closely as you want or need him to, to walk through those five commitments. That is not a perfect answer, but I think it's better than a hope and a prayer and just wishing him good luck, which is kind of how I felt 13 years ago. So I know we've got a long way to go, uh, but I hope we're on the right track because discipleship and having an identifiable plan and structure that makes disciples and teaches people to obey what Jesus taught us, that's where we want to be. That's what it means to boldly raise up discipleship as the mission of the church and to state unequivocally that disciples exist to become the hands and the feet of Jesus. My hope is this core value begins to address what Dallas Willard was writing about in 2006. He writes, this is a quote, so the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Will they break out of the church to be his church, to be without human force or violence, his mighty force for good on earth, drawing the churches after them toward the eternal purposes of God. So when it comes to discipleship, None of us have fully arrived. 
But we all have the opportunity to become more available to the Holy Spirit and be filled with the presence and the essence of Jesus. So I close our thoughts today by using Galatians 5 as a standard of measurement for how you're doing, how I'm doing, how we're doing as disciples. Galatians 5 asks us a series of questions about, are you filled with these things? Are you spirit-filled? So listen to these questions that Galatians 5 asks us and reflect on where the Spirit might be leading you. Are you filled with love? Are you filled with joy? Are you filled with peace? Are you filled with patience? Are you filled with kindness? Are you filled with goodness? Are you filled with faithfulness? Are you filled with gentleness? Are you filled with self-control? May Jesus himself meet us today where we are but love us too much to leave us there. One of the most tangible ways we have to encounter Christ and to be available to His Spirit to fill us, for Him to teach us what it is He wants us to learn is through observing the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis. And so now in your homes or living rooms or wherever you're gathering, we're about to break bread we're about to drink a cup. And these things remind us that Jesus, even Jesus, didn't get to do it his way, didn't get to follow his will, but he set his will aside so that he could do the will of the one who sent him. And so as we take bread and as we take cup today, it's an opportunity for us too to say, not my will, but his. And if that makes you uncomfortable, Know that it's for our own good and it's for growth. Let's give thanks for the bread and the cup. Lord Jesus, we meet you here at this table. Though separated physically, we are united spiritually. Through your blood, through your broken body, we know that you inhabit our lives and our hearts. And we thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to teach us and empower us to obey all that you've taught us. God, help all of us move from being people who wear the name of Jesus to people who live the lives of Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.